Welcome to Strike a Chord, Eureka Ensemble's official live podcast, where we take a deep dive into important issues facing our community, the latest current in the classical music world, and how music can strike the right chord in engaging with those issues. And welcome to Strike Accord episode nine. We are very excited tonight to welcome visionary artist, activist, and educator Midori, one of the most outstanding violinists of our time. And before we get to our main event, I do want to let everyone know that next week on April 22nd, we will not be having our episode of Strike Accord. Uh, instead, we invite all of you to join us for a preview event. Uh, later in the month, we're going to have an event called Rising Tides, focusing on the local impacts of climate change and addressing that through music with original songs by young composers here in the greater Boston area. And next uh, Thursday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we are excited to offer a preview of the full event on the 30th. So... Uh, we, we do have Midori with us today. It's very exciting. As a leading concert violinist for over 35 years, uh, Midori regularly transfixes audiences around the world, bringing together graceful precision and intimate expression. Uh, Midori is deeply committed to furthering humanitarian and educational goals, and it is these common values that bring us together today. She has founded and manages several nonprofit organizations, including Midori and Friends, which provides music programs for New York City youth and communities. And Eureka is proud to be working as a partner with Midori and Friends this year. In recognition of her commitments, she serves as a UN messenger of peace and will be uh, honored in May at the 43rd annual Kennedy Center Honors by the Kennedy Center in Washington, DC. So without further ado, here is the Strike Accord Eureka team alongside Midori. Good evening, everybody. Uh, so nice. Happy Thursday. How is everybody doing tonight? Doing Pretty all right. Good. Doing all right. I feel like it should be, um, since it's just, I don't know, after all the accolades, Midori, you're fantastic. And all after all the accolades, <laughs> it should really be Midori and a Shrike Accord uh, host. <laughs> well, just to get oh, things man. off the ground, um, Brittany, do you want to play our Chord of the Week? Sure, let me just turn on just sound. Get to my piano. Okay. Ooh, let me bring that up just a bit. And what was that chord for our audience? <laughs> I believe it was an A flat seven, maybe nine. <laughs> it was an A flat major with some nice extra tones in there. Just awesome. How I'm feeling Perfect today. For a rainy day. <laughs> yeah, truly. You know, rainy days bring out different perspectives and emotions of people. I'm not a fan, um, but I know some people that feel completely serene 
And I know hearing that it kind of has like the tension, but also the serenity of A flat major. So wonderful. Well, speaking of feeling, Midori, how is your week? How are you? I'm good. I'm well. Thank you. How is it going for you guys? It's raining here in New York. Also is raining it? up here in Mass. Yeah, it was uh, drizzling. It's been a wet, wet, wet week. <laughs> yeah, a little it feels chilly. Like a flat major ninth kind of day for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yeah. So we've been. You know, in spite of the rainy weather, because we're all indoors anyway, we've been doing our work and keeping busy. Andres mentioned we have a Rising Tides uh, program focused on climate change coming up. But Midori, what are some of the uh, projects you're working on right now? What, what, what's keeping you busy? Oh, there are so many things going on at the moment. It's a sort of a, a very exciting time going into this last stretch of what was a very, very strange season, I would say. Um, we've certainly learned a lot. I certainly learned a lot about being online, about technology, uh, things I never would even, you know, imagine that existed actually about the internet. I learned quite a bit and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm very proud that I was still teachable in that sense. But right now I'm quite um, occupied um, still of course the teaching of the lessons of my students, uh, preparing for some of the concerts coming up, performances in Spain next week. Um, as well as um, preparing, learning a new work by uh, Derek Burmel to perform, to give premiere performances with seven different youth orchestras um, in May and June. Um, and this is a piece that was written particularly for the current time um, in which he designed it, so he composed it, Derek composed it so that it can be rehearsed and performed online, live. And wow. it's not particular, particularly to uh, submit um, a line um, or a part and then to put it together afterwards, but it's to actually do it live. So we're very excited about that. I just got the music wow. for the uh, second movement last week. Um, first movement being for strings only and violin solo. And the second movement um, is actually, I should say it's the third movement. The third movement is for winds only and violin solo part. And the middle part is something that he's going to um, work on after the pandemic is over. Um, but it certainly is interesting to be learning and working on a piece that's going to be initially solely performed online, uh, different challenges that come from that, things to embrace that we hadn't thought of before, um, trying to embrace latency, for example. <laughs> So that keeps me busy. And then we're, of course, at Midori and Friends going in for the final, final sort of several weeks of presentations of the signature series, which, of course, the Eurekas are a part of. And you, Alan, um, yeah, we're going to be playing in a quartet again. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, right. Um, creating content for music sharings. Um, partners and in institutions, um, as well as uh, what normally would be a live concert uh, in two different concert halls in Tokyo and Osaka. But this year we would have to do it by streaming. So lots of things coming up. All right. Well, speaking of uh, music sharing, so this is, I, I had the huge privilege of uh, working with Midori uh, as part of her music sharing program in a quartet that went to, to Vietnam in, was it 2018, Midori, was that right? December, yeah, so to December 2018 and um, also to Japan. 
in the summer of 2019, where we were playing for different schools and hospitals, assisted living centers. Um, and that actually, that's a great segue for uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Midori, which it has you know so much to do. Uh, we, there's so much that you do through your work as a humanitarian and, and a cultural ambassador. Um, music sharing, of course, is one of the, the vehicles for that. But uh, I wanted to ask you, um, what are some what are some of the, the major insights that you've gleaned over the years about the power of music and musicians through doing this kind of work, both abroad and, and in the US? Yeah, what have you learned from being that in that position? Well, well, the I, relevance I think, in, in, in the community at large. Yeah. yeah, but it's something, you know, it's so difficult to just explain in a nutshell. I've learned so much and I continue to learn and there are new things. You know, our world is changing, of course. So, um, you know, we continue to learn um, alongside all the changes that are happening around us. Uh, we hope to be learning. But I think one of the first things I've learned through ISAP um, was that um, that, you know, what I used to think of normal or what I used to think of as the truth. Um, there is subjectivity in all of this and that there is no such a thing as truth with a capital T. Um, and it's my perspective, how I see things. And um, I may share that with others as well, but I may also not share that. Um, so one of the first things that I learned is that I'm a very subjective person. And um, I think we all learn that through this ISEP program. We also get confronted firsthand by different situations, difficult situations, um, extremely, extremely tragic situations um, that um, are difficult to let go from your memory. Um, Was there we, a particular uh, circumstance or situation like that comes to mind that triggered that lesson for you? Like whose truth? I, I think that's like there are just so lesson. many and you know these are not just images but sometimes just the way I felt you know so I could feel that sort of goosebumps still remembering or that's how I remember or it's a scent um or whatever it is um going into a very very remote village um maybe not even a village um visiting somebody who hadn't had a visitor for so many so many months and years um going to a place where really music musical sound is the only way to really communicate um or going to the garbage mountains um mm. the smell of it um and then seeing these wonderful warm-hearted children um then knowing that um they had just lost a friend the night before because of um just being run over by the garbage truck during the night uh as kids sleep in these conditions um different things visiting um visiting different um institutions or villages or colonies or however you like to call them um peace villages um peace villages that we visited uh, a number of them actually in vietnam you might remember alan um where children have been affected uh by asian orange um mm. and so they suffer today uh from what their grandparents might have been 
affected by for the Asian orange um, or visiting the elderly or visiting the community where people um, at one point um, had uh, suffered from leprosy or Hansen's disease. Mm. Um, and these are wonderful experiences in a way all put together um, and the opportunity that I feel how privileged I feel to have been able to connect uh, with them to bring music um, to be in their presence um, and to share the music and to also sometimes uh, for them to have performed for us sharing their stories with us their experiences with us uh, sometimes it's uh, a dance sometimes it's um, singing uh, but sharing their lives sharing their cultures with us um, I think going to different hospitals, institutions in Japan, uh, what it means for us to be able to even gain entrance to some of these places, correctional facilities. Um, it's not always um, in the middle of the city. It's not always easy to get to, uh, to some of these places that we get to visit. Um, and you get surprised in a place like Japan how far some things feel. Uh, so um, these are all the lessons, you know, that there's so many, so many things that I've learned, feelings, um, just the experience of having been. And um, well, yeah, what course, role did you see music like playing in these people's lives that you met? Because those are the variety of exchanges that you just described are, you know, worth and movies. <laughs> one of the, I think one of the most wonderful things about music is that it has no boundaries, it has no boundaries of what it can do. Um, and for different people, it's, it serves as different things. And in some cases, um, we were the sounds from the outside, the, the contact, the connection to the outside. Um, for those especially who might have been confined, um, we are the, the, the sounds from the outside, um, from outside their windows, um, if there are windows. Um, we are the ones that actually don't speak the same language and that might inspire them. Uh, it might waken their interest in learning something that's more than just within their environment. Um, it's, it's an encouragement, it's um, a way to connect, that we are all connected, um, that it's a way to think beyond their own immediate environment. Uh, and, and like relating back to the classical music field, right, do you think the field represents that or those lessons or should it, you know, it's like, how do you take it to this platform of basically alleviating suffering for people. Uh, I think one of the, I, I like to just say that one of the other things that I find is so moving for me uh, during these ISAP visits, it's not only with the ISAP visits, but I noticed this first, I think, during one of the ISAP visits, um, is that how I um, can feel and I can see uh, music changing us and the meaning of the music within us. Um, it's not just for the people that we share the music with and playing for them, but it's also us, the players, those of us that have lived with classical music for such a long time. And as I work with the younger musicians, I see that music really makes us 
view the you know view the world differently or it actually changes the relationship to our music and um and at times i felt like music was in these trips you know music was the only thing that we can hold on to <laughs> and how much it supported us and how much it helped us So speaking of you know supporting and being supported by people, I mean this kind of engagement with communities that sometimes don't speak our language, but but um, wants to hear these voices from the outside or take something from that. I think um, it, it, it ties very deeply into the work that we do as well and that we value here, even if it's on a much more local scale. But we've been th we think about the philosophical underpinnings of this kind of work a lot, you know, Christo's question about classical music's role and all this, I think, uh, and it indicates something that we all contemplate. Uh, Brittany, I think you you had something you wanted to um, uh, ask on uh, on this topic, which was uh, very pertinent. I did, and... Also a nice hat, Brittany. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's what I bring to today's podcast is a bit of <laughs> headgear. Um, I'm trying to think of exactly how I worded it, but I know, Alan, you may have it since I also shared it with you, um, but Midori, if you could talk a bit about how your work um, through Midori and Friends, through all these other humanitarian um, avenues that you have, how that affects your own performance, um, how that affects maybe works that you possibly commission or just perform in concert, um, the work that you do with your students, how does that side inform your performance and teaching side? Again, it's very difficult to um, put it in a nutshell. Uh, to simplify, I think, does a disservice. So I, it's very difficult to explain. But I would say that through all the experiences, I feel extremely, extremely, extremely privileged to be able to have had these experiences, to have met the people I have, to have worked with the people um, I did, and to share a meal or to share the music, um, to share the experience together. Um, and I would say that it really has all these together as an experience. It becomes a single experience. You know, it's like a tapestry. And that's, you know, with so many different threads and beautiful threads and it's very complex and it gets more and more complex and it just becomes so beautiful um and meaningful um and also has more depth as it gets more com complicated and complex and i would say that um my range of reactions emotional reactions um has definitely expanded and because my range of emotional reactions um, has expanded, I think I like to think that my range of being expressive has also changed. Musically um, expressive. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you're talking, especially as a performer, as a player, um, that, you know, it's just so so telling as we experience life that it's so beautifully complex that it's never one way or the other it's not so clear and that um 
music is very much like that. It's clear and yet it's so, so abstract. And yeah, because it's abstract, it's so, so possible to imagine. It's so possible to imbue your own feelings um, and to be able to make it to what you want. I think well, I think like, that I think one thing that um, my colleagues and I, when we were working with you uh, in that quartet in Vietnam, Japan, felt uh, very strongly was, you know, how being in those situations made us want to put in more effort to make sure that the music that we were playing had things that the audience could connect to, you know, like really um, you know, making things vivid in a way, and and really trying to to see and and hear even hear. You know, like the kids who were coming up to us, you know, perhaps at the school for the for the blind, where they were feeling our instruments, and mm -hmm. and that there's a certain reshaping of desire and motivation, I think, that goes into you know performance in those kinds of s scenarios, mm -hmm. and you take it back with you. And I know for my part that you know mm -hmm. it's really shaped my my perspective on on music making and performance. And then. I think it also, to a certain extent, makes you sort of lose yourself you know to throw all whatever your you know your immediate desires or wants and um to get get you know sort of kind of get rid of your vices yeah, in a way calls you to surrender is how i like to you you like surrender yourself to the moment and to the people that are there through your art right just, to the just people, giving. to the music yeah. yes just giving as much as you can yeah. Like what I always appreciate about this art form um, is just that it puts you into the shoes of other people in a way that like conversation cannot, because like you're feeling everything that everybody else is feeling, and you hold. Do you think musicians hold a responsibility for that? What when they go to communities like you have in terms of coming back to a place like the United States, which the you know the economic baselines here in terms of healthcare and just living uh, quality or quality of living are just so much uh, so different compared to some of the areas you've just described. Hmm. Different, but I would not say that there is no need here. There is a great oh, yeah. need. There is a great need sure. everywhere. Um, and we have to remember that there is subjectivity involved here. So um, there's always going to be that. And so, um, you know, I happen to have gone to some of these places, um, um, but it also made me realize that there is need here, right, right in, you know, in our neighborhood. And so it makes me actually very motivated to do more. Yeah, just the need is just too much. <laughs> Is that why you started uh, Midorian Friends, by any chance? Midorian Friends was my first organization, and this was from 1992. Um, and of course, we've grown. We're going to be almost year 30. So we will have uh, the 30th anniversary coming up fairly soon. Um, but yeah, schools were different back then. Situations were different. New York was quite different back then. Um, and. I was growing up in the 80s um, and the early 90s, and that's when I was sort of coming of age and I was starting to perform. I was working with older colleagues, highly respected colleagues, and now I was always listening to them talk about, um, about the lack of 
arts education, music education in the schools, uh, in the public schools, especially, um, and also particularly to do with um, urban centers, you know, such as New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston, Washington, DC. And as I was listening to this talk, I really, really got inspired and I wanted to start something on my own as well. I wanted to be hands on, I wanted to participate in trying to change this trend, this trend that was looking like we were not going to have any arts education in the schools fairly soon. So I wanted to participate, I wanted to do something to try to bring an attention to the importance of the arts, what the, um, the arts can do to change the culture of a school. And so I started Midorian uh, Friends in 92, not expecting actually that it would grow so much. Um, I also have to confess that when I started, I didn't think that the problems were this complex. The problems are, you know, once I started with this, it just just wouldn't stop. You know, it was like wasn't just one layer. It was two layers, three layers, four layers, and I mean there were just so many problems. <laughs> um, and so you know I couldn't stop. And then of course, as the world changes, some things get better. Some you know some new challenges come up. Um, some old challenges are solved, but then the new challenges come. And we always have to be reevaluating. We have to be looking. We have to be working with our partners. And we can't just take one single approach and expect that it's going to work forever because it's a good approach. No, it's always going to be changing with the times. And then it's always going to want to stay just slightly ahead to lead that change as we need them. Um, so yeah, Midorian Friends continues and it continues to evolve. <laughs> and um, you know, we are now working with um, a number of schools, um, some 50 schools or even more, depending on the year, sometimes as many as 70. Uh, this year, of course, because of COVID, we're doing um, online only. Uh, but you know, in other years, we've had from instrumental instruction to um, different opportunities in band, ensemble, um, and we really didn't have anything virtual until this year. So um, this is a new development for us, which I hope will be able to continue to the extent that um, we can. Um, but then also after the pandemic, to bring back the live. Um, and we'll see, you know, to balance this, and we've certainly learned a lot during this last 14 months, and there's certainly things that I think would work very well together with a live. And Majori, like one thing I'm just very interested in is because of like the experiences that you've been able to have that from all your travels around the world and seeing people at many different stages of just real human suffering, you know, in a way that in the United States, you just don't experience how, you know, a concern I always have with uh, classical musicians is that we get so lost inside the art form that we forget that it's about you know, human emotion and human suffering and alleviating it. How, you know, like from all these experiences, how do you think um, we could get, or you could get younger musicians that, that enter the field to think in this way, like, like you said, for Midorian friends to take not a single approach. Well, I think ma many young musicians are very eager to learn. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's our job for those of us who have started in this path um, to share 
with the with the younger musicians as well or our colleagues to to you know encourage them to know more um and i think many young musicians today are very interested and i think there are different opportunities available as well there could be more no question about that but of course hearing about it is one thing but doing it together experiencing it together it's a totally different matter and of course it the degree of motivation the degree of inspiration is just you know it's just completely something else and it can't be captured in words right it has to be through experience i'm reminded in in my i went to jesuit high school growing up and in order to graduate from year to year you have to do 100 to 150 hours of community service you cannot it doesn't matter how your grades are you cannot move from year to year and so would you think just to get younger musicians motivated in, to do the kind of thing you're 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 suggesting um how <laughs> would it be through something like that or um it, like how do you get a younger player who is you know spends eight hours a day practicing intonation <laughs> you know to well think i think about, the desire yeah. is there the desire is there absolutely um, absolutely yeah i think the desire is there and sometimes the opportunities are you know are needing to be discovered but i actually would say that there's great need there are many many possibilities in the u.s right in your own neighborhood um it's much more than anything else it's to connect with others through music and so it's not about a particular place or going to a particular situation first and foremost it's about connecting with people through music um i realized so much that there we, there are many issues to be tackled on here in the us whether it's to do with um going into um children's um situations or the elderly or the people who are um who are you know in different conditions uh there are many many reasons there are numerous reasons um i always always made a point of working with people with disabilities um i've always made a point of going out to the correctional facilities not necessarily um going to places where people are able to come out so easily from their confined um, um confined what, what inspired you to those two specific communities like to well like the disabled communities a huge community in itself but was there a specific story or situation that got you focused around that community and as well as correctional facilities? Hmm. I don't remember. A, I don't remember a particular moment. It just happened and I continued doing it um, through music sharing, also visiting many, many hospitals, special hospitals, uh, special institutions. Um, and thanks to different possibilities with the internet one can also do research and once you're motivated and once you're able to have some keywords and you also start to look and there there is there is a lot of information out there and then of course when i read about it or i learn about it i want to know more and i want to be involved yeah actually that's a, a kind of topic that is we have we debate all on all, all sorry on all the time this uh, idea of doing your research, or I always say yeah. it's doing your homework. 
there's and I, I always get worried with uh younger players uh younger musicians but also just younger people because you've grown up with the internet the temptation to not do your homework and just uh um you know go with what is happening is is quite strong so how I, I totally agree like all the resources are there the people suffering are, are literally just inside your house and outside just right in your neighborhood there are so many issues that one can solve but how do you get somebody to want to to focus on that to even think about doing research and it like what what got you to start doing research in that in that direction I think I was always um, through the family, uh, always interested um, in learning more about my community. And um, it was always a habit. Um, before the internet, there was a library. Uh, there were different resources. Um, but I think there was always a habit if there was something that struck a chord um, and something made me more interested or compelled to find out more. I always did look for this kind of information. Um, and I think also with a family background of, you know, really want to be, wanting to be a part of the community, uh, wanting to learn about different, um, different sides of the community, sure. um, different programs of the community, um, and why certain programs existed to support what kind of things or for the aim of X, Y, and Z. I was just always interested in what is this company doing? What is this institution doing? What is this hospital's interest? And just, and then you go further and further from there. Oh yeah, that's like, there's a hunger there. I, I totally vibe with that completely. I think it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about being aware of our, our, um, our world, our social surroundings, our, you know, the socioeconomic concerns of our communities. Um, and it, it's just been interesting to observe like over the course of however many years that that those concerns and being aware of that um, is starting to overlap with music work more and more, right? And I think um, right now, the reason why people like Christo, Brittany and and uh, Andres and I, we, 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 we do this kind of work and you know, follow in your footsteps, Midori, is because, you know, there's been a recognition um, on the part of artists that they could be doing, doing more. And this is kind of like the evolving situation that I think you referenced earlier. Um, but I wanted to ask about that. Uh, you, you mentioned music education uh, being something that you see evolving, the needs of communities evolving. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? What kinds of things you've seen develop over the last few years that's changed how you work? Um, sure. So, you know, about 28 years ago, uh, when Midori and Friends started, um, there weren't so many, so many organizations on, that were focusing on bringing music education um, to the schools, and that was still being developed. And there were organizations that were bringing performances um, or bringing kids into concert halls. Um, and there was much, it was more like a children's concert at best. And I feel that I felt very strongly that we needed more than that. We need that and we need other opportunities. So what does it mean to have 
good solid music education. Um, used to be that perhaps if you've heard of the composer's names, Mozart and Beethoven, people went, oh, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good um, from, from, from an eight-year-old for a nine-year-old. But then, you know, as we get better at all of this, so we go more in depth and then then we think about okay well then just knowing the names of these composers isn't sufficient anymore um what does it mean to really understand uh some of these composers okay well you need to know maybe some works that um, these composers wrote um maybe also a way to start hearing different performance styles of some of these works and then also um trying to see if one can play these pieces or to participate in um in a performance of these works um it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper of course you can't just tackle everything at once you know it doesn't go into sort of playing the pieces together before you have gotten to the place where yes you get to know the composers you get to know some of the pieces you get to recognize some of the pieces you get to recognize some of the styles you know it has to come in steps but once you start you go step further a step further a step further and so do the kids who are learning you can't just give them one sort of level of information and I think young people are wonderful, children are wonderful because they, the more they get into things, the more they would want and the deeper you can go and you can build on the knowledge. So um, that's how I kind of see it. And now, you know, we have many more organizations that solely work, like Midori and Friends actually, that solely work on bringing music education. Uh, we're not a part of a presenting organization of performances um, with an educational department. Right, your interest is not event production. <laughs> That's right. And then our interest is um, in making sure that we can bring music education to, to areas where it may not have so much access to, sure. to orchestras or the education departments of the orchestras. Um, so, um, you know, that, that climate has definitely changed. Now we're talking about really working together, forming different partnerships, whether it's within the music education field or across different disciplines within the arts. Um, within music, we're talking about um, bringing together different styles of performing, different styles of music, different ways of approaching music, uh, not just listening, but producing, creating, critiquing, you know, that level is getting deeper and deeper. And I think that is something that I have seen as a major change in the last 20, 25 years. Absolutely. I, I always feel like there's this hunger with youth for expanded creative expression, you know, like a toolkit for to be able to creatively express yourself. And then also uh, like this need for encouragement and openness to vulnerability, which it's it's hard to grow up and figure out that being vulnerable is, you know, synonymous with being strong. And there's something about learning an instrument that allows you to just develop your voice, pun intended in this case, um, uh, through music, but also then inter like personally for yourself. And so I, Feel like music education the way you're describing really does fill such a serious and important need mm -hmm. um Brittany as a student in music education <laughs> at the college level 
you know not and, not so much but yes <laughs> well in, in one sense yeah no yeah um, um hearing all of that i was just thinking of how that's basically just inclusion for people you know bringing music education to everyone and having them be able to connect to works in ways that they may not have previously and like you said Midori beyond just knowing what they are and who wrote it but like why and how does that affect like what they feel and how they look at it and I think that's really fantastic I know that like Christo can relate in that like and all of us all of us can relate definitely in that that's what we do as you know performers and musicians ourselves is we don't just look at the composer and say okay well this person wrote this and these are the notes and that's it you know mm. no and it's oh it's always it has the capacity to do so much more and when i also think about my own background how much music has really um deepened my love for history for example <clears throat> and got me interested in so many different different topics and themes and fields um it really has no boundaries but just getting back <coughs> a little bit you know to um when i first started me and friends so one of the reasons why i wanted to start an organization rather than just doing myself going out to the schools and giving you know workshops and lessons was because i've always believed that um, there's so many different traditions um, that we have here in New York City and also musically speaking, artistically, and that I didn't want this sort of my desire to bring music to the kids solely to be restricted to classical. So I wanted, you know, different, different representations. I wanted different styles of music that would reflect the culture, this really diverse, rich um, culture that we have in New York City. So we've always had um, now, you know, classical music. I'm like, okay, 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 don't forget us, even within Midorian <laughs> France. But, you know, uh, in some ways, we have to fight for our presence, the classicals, you know, but then we've always had flamenco, we've always had drumming, we've always had flute ensemble from China, Bangladesh, wow. all, all different, you know, we have wonderful communities here in New York City, that really have such wonderful traditions as well, that we can all, you know, we can all get enriched by these experiences uh, to learn from each other and to learn about ourselves actually by you know exchanging and so you know this is one thing that um i'm very very proud of at midwain friends that we're able as an organization that is not attached to a particular orchestra of certain styles or a particular presenting organization of particular um you know, um, particular styles again, um, that we're able to really bring in, we, we are wide open and we're able to do this. Um, we don't have to restrict ourselves to a certain genre. So, I, I mean, I see this as definitely a blessing. I would agree. Honestly, I love hearing that there's so many, I was gonna ask about that actually, that there's just so many different styles. Um, and I'd love to hear more about like your thoughts on how you mentioned, oh, don't forget classical music. But also I I say this every week, I'm very much on dismantling the canon and kind of just <laughs> removing that idea. Um, so what do you what are your thoughts on ways that we can maybe expand or reframe 
some of these classics, as you mentioned, so that they're not forgotten? Hmm. Well, I think that Alan may agree or disagree. I think, you know, when we were playing in Vietnam or in Japan in different institutions or orphanages or um, schools, we might have had repertoire that um, people would react, well, isn't that kind of difficult, you know? Um, but I think it's just a, really a matter of presentation. It's, I like to see this variety, whether it's across disciplines or within the discipline or within our program. Uh, I like to see great contrast, and yet there's always going to be this sort of ongoing threat Right. So something that, um, you know, we can talk about our feelings, a piece that um, allows us to talk about rhythm and, you know, get them going, get the listeners going or, you know, sounds that were considered not so traditional in the beginning, but became very much a part of what we do. Um, it's really about how we hear, how we present um, and how we decide to work with the the materials that we have so i don't necessarily think that we always have to just you know play things that are traditional so to say or considered to be the classics okay. you know we have a wide range too and then we also have to present well we have to actually perform well. Um, we are always trying to get kids engaged or people engaged. Um, also, to be able to really bring it to them as well. Um, so I think it was in Vietnam where we actually went to individual homes in the villages before we actually had the concert and we play a little bit and serve that as our greeting the community and you know, we're here and we're going to play this concert, please come and join us uh, rather than just sort of expecting people will gather for the concert or the presentation. So there are many different ways. I also feel that it's very important that um, when I'm going out, when we're going out to these um, institutions or schools, um, villages, that really what's underneath in my thoughts is that we're there to receive and we're there to experience together. It's it's not so much of, okay, this is great music, you know, and here I'm, you know, wanting to give it to you. It's never that. It's not so much about giving it, but it's more receiving. And even this warm smile that we get, just a little hint of a smile, a big smile, it depends, you know, that for the first time somebody hears a sound from, a string instrument and it just sort of you know uh, almost this mesmerized look it's precious but then you know that you reach somebody yeah for that kind of reaction to happen and for me to be able to experience that for us to be able to experience that to have been there you know it's a gift i love that yes, it um, really is. i wanted to ask with the class the question about classical music, it just in general, among all of these different genres, what is there something about classical music that you think is worth sharing with these kids? Because my question is, why stand up for classical music? Not to be like an argumentative in any way, but because I definitely have feelings for it. But what is it about classical music that you think 
is really important to share with, especially communities that have never heard the violin before or any classical. Well, the thing is for, you know, I think for those that have never heard classical music, it's, I don't think it's important to let them know that this is classical music. It's just music, right? right. And music that actually sort of makes, a, makes us want to dance or to sing or to kind of wonder what's going on or to even <laughs> wince, you know? It doesn't matter whether it's classical or not. It sounds, it's effective sound. Um, it's effective sound, and not only that, but we're creating these sounds with our hands through our instruments. It's a magical effect, I and think. And it's non-amplified. Yeah. Like, I always find that the most magical part, to just, like... Oh, well, like, it could be amplified, but most it, of the time sure. it's not. Yeah. But, like, yeah. there's... I remember uh, I had this experience once with a few um, at-risk youths in Boston seeing an orchestra for the first time. You know, hundred human souls playing instruments and they had never heard anything that loud non-amplified in their lives and one of the kids literally dropped his mouth and said that is the shit <laughs> i was like yeah. that's right that's the experience that we're going for and you know it's like there aren't that many um opportunities to get that kind of like human expression that is not technological mm -hmm. Which I always think is so special to you know orchestras and chamber groups. My gosh. Mm -hmm. um, One thing about classical music is that um, we have an idea of who wrote the music, when this music was being written, or what sort of was going on around that time. And you know, for me, this is a this is a personal thing, but I always felt connected through music to different periods of time, different cultures, different countries. Um, you know, I grew up thinking that these composers were my friends. And so, and you know, it's just getting to know a friend. And when you get to know a friend, you also get to know about his or her life or what surrounds his or her life. Right. Right. And, and it was a wonderful way to connect, actually. Yeah, become invested in them in mm -hmm. a very deep way. Mm -hmm. And then something that's beyond or every day in the way, um, you know, why did, why did Beethoven not wear a wig? Okay. And where does a wig come from for Mozart? What was that made out of, you know, or, smell? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, what was Bach really like, you know, why did he go to jail at one point? Um, all these things and you start to think and about, you know, instrument makers and all these things, Bartok, what kind of life he had, uh, Prokofiev and how he wrote stories as well as music. And then, you know, he wrote about the, the Eiffel Tower with legs, you know, that started to walk and I don't know how old he was, but he wrote a story like that why you know what was going on in this guy's mind you know and you start to think and, and the imagination takes over you know or tchaikovsky and uh, the ballet score stravinsky um so it, it's just the possibility through music for me classical music because we actually know how these pieces were written or who wrote them when they were written and have an idea what they were like and we i think we have individual understanding of some of these composers through the pieces we get to play 
but you know it's an it's a possibility for us to sort of be cross temporal cross generational right. you know cross cultural and i think it's it's really for me this was always you know it's like a, a little extra trip <laughs> yeah. well and i think it just it kind of brings back that point about subjectivity and ambiguity because i feel like classical music has such an interesting power because you're right like the tradition is so can be so specific and you know you can know so much about the lives of the composers and how the piece is written, how it's been played for the last 300 years. But there's this, on the other side, this entire like layer of ambiguity that allows for so much innovation um, at every level. And it just makes it so inspiring to be a part of. And I was just thinking about an orchestra I was a part of um, a few years ago where there were 90 countries represented in the orchestra. And I thought, like where does that happen where else yeah. can that really happen um except in in like a kind of uh organism like an orchestra where you, you have ambiguity and specificity at the same time this theme of subjectivity i mean it keeps coming up and for for a very uh good reason but i just wanted to throw out throw out there that i think it's really just fascinating, incredible, and, and wonderful that you know you got you got a psych degree, if I recall. Is that right? Yes, I've been meaning to ask you about it. <laughs> yes, my wait, college why psychology. Degree. Oh my gosh. Well, that came as a surprise, so to <laughs> say. So when I started my university, um, I had no idea what I wanted to study. And my guess was that it was going to be somewhere in the arts. Um, I had gone into university and one thing I knew was I was not, I was not going to actually major in music. Um, so um, I thought art history, maybe cultural studies, maybe education, arts education, something in the arts, I thought. Um, but through the liberal arts core, I had to take something to fulfill my quota for that in social sciences. And, you know, basically, you know, for some of these courses you take, you end up taking something that fits your schedule the best, right? Because it just works. And yes. you have to be honest with yourself. There are certain courses you take because it fits and you need that credit, right? Well, psychology, intro to psychology was one of those courses. Wow. And, yeah. And it just psychology, what's that? You know, and, um, you know, I, I had no idea. And Freud, never really heard of before. Melanie Klein, who's that? You know, and Jung, who, you oh know, I, I, I had no idea. And so, this is getting into the depth of subjectivity. <laughs> and then, and then I, so I took this intro to, to psychology, uh, who actually, I remember this very well. The first, first class the professor brought his dog. Uh, who was supposedly a genius, um, according to the professor. The professor or the dog? Oh, okay. the dog said. <laughs> the, well, the professor said that the dog was um, was was a genius, and that he was supposedly a child prodigy as a young boy. He said. Excellent. Whatever. I remember that. But then I got wow. fascinated with the topic, and um, and then I said, "Well, actually, I want to learn more about this." Um, and then it's like, okay, what's nurtured and what's nature, you know, what's sort of there and what's cultivated. And I got into all these questions you and could, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take a couple more courses. Yeah. Wow. And then before I knew it, that's what I ended up doing. 
And then there was yet another course that I took, again, more for convenience and fulfilling the quarter for, you know, needing that credit to graduate. And it also said in the syllabus that, you know, we'll be able to go to some theater performances and tickets will be provided. I said, well, this is a good idea because I've always loved the theater. And so I took the course and it turned out to be um, examining, well, examining different um, plays and theatrical works from a very gender perspective. And so I was like, okay, I had no idea what that was, but (laughs) I get to go to the theater. Good. And I took the course, really got interested again. um, And then so I decided to take more courses in gender studies. And so gender studies was sort of like my minor area and then um psychology remained my major area but that's how i did my undergrad and then i wasn't quite finished when i was graduating uh, from college i didn't think that i was ready to just let that go um and to get out of um, an academic institution so i decided to go on to grad school and then in grad school i did just um, psychology general psychology does that inform us that oh yeah you're gonna ask the exact question i'm gonna ask alan. well then you go yes. ahead christo no no please it. alan <laughs> i mean feel free Midori, to be as broad or as specific as you want but how does this still inform does this side of your life still inform your your work today and your performance and how you approach music mm, i think it does quite it does have its presence it shows its presence i think uh especially when i'm teaching in the way I'm explaining things to the student or um, in the way that I think about how we think we're doing one thing. This is getting to the really, you know, the notes and bolts of playing as a practicing musician. But what we think we're doing, is it really going out? How is that being interpreted? Is it being communicated? What is communication? You know, um, and trying to explain all these things. I think I do go back to some of the things I learned through psychology and then also this sort of it's basically sitting in the library all the time. And this is before the internet really erupted, right? And started to change our lives so much. We had the internet, but it was all analog connection. So, you know, just sort of going into the library, staying there, doing the research, you know, and as I did my research, of course, you know, I'll be looking for something, but then along the way, I'll fall upon other things I'll be interested in. And I'll start picking up this book, that book, and start reading and all kinds of things. That was the beauty of actually studying in the library but I think my desire to search for this information and along the way to actually not to disregard everything else that comes along with it this is actually going right back to the days that I spent so many hours and so many nights actually in the NYU library at the Bob's mm-hmm. library doing wow. your homework as it were do, supposedly yeah. doing my homework but really reading about everything else you know that i was supposed to be learning about well it sounds like there's so much more that we could learn about you and about the work that you're doing we've reached the hour mark oh wow that disappears yeah i'm a little sad more than a little sad right now um but yes this has been a wonderful hour um, with Midori. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's your such insights. a joy to get to work with you on on a partnership with Eureka. So, thank yeah. you, and I look forward to seeing you live in person, Alan, very soon to start working on our quartets. Still, <laughs> huge yeah. privilege as always. Yes. Thanks so much.
Okay. Um, Christo, do we have a chord for the end or are we? Oh, uh, no, we don't do chords at the end. We don't do chords just... at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank to those of you who are listening and watching. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, this is going to be available afterwards, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you want to, if you couldn't make the whole thing or any part of it this evening, you can check back in later and uh, we'll have it accessible on our website. So thanks, everybody. Okay. Thank you.